0: Welcome, everybody. It's good to see you. Some folks are still looking for seats. If you have a couple by you, just wave your hands so they can uh, move in or scooch in and get to know your neighbor. They love Jesus. You love Jesus. If you're single, you never know. I'm just saying it's a way, right, to meet people. So do that. And uh, it's a great opportunity for me also to remind you of Saturday night services where there are seats and parking as well as the extension And if you go there, um, God loves you more. So uh, check those things out as well. Uh, We're in a series that we're calling uh, 30 and 30, uh, Seeing a Movement. And we've been talking in this series about the corporate directives that God gives his whole church that we need to personalize, right? So things like the Great Commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. That's a directive to the whole church. Uh, that be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's the whole church. But the church is a sum total of its individual parts. So as I respond to God, as God changes me, the me becomes the we. And what God calls us to, he calls you to, And all of us, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to kind of rectify and determine how those directives apply to you in a direct way. So we've been talking about that. Now these directives are pointed toward followers of Christ. So this last few weeks we've been saying that if you're new in your faith or you're not even a follower of Jesus Christ yet, a lot of this is descriptive, which is great. Uh, kind of let you know what the church is about and what the Bible teaches and what you would be getting into if you became a follower of Jesus Christ. So it's great to download it in those ways. Uh, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, these are instructive. These are things that we are to go do and to be a part of. So grace takes all this kind of these broad commands and we put it into our vision and our mission and so this is where we would look to say that we believe god has uh, called us to be a part of planting 30 churches we call them campuses 30 campuses in 30 years we've uh, opened four and about ready to open a fifth And we call that the 30 and 30 vision, where we're looking for places where the gospel is not clear and not easily accessible, and asking can we be a part of helping it to be clear, easily accessible in those communities. And then we've been talking about what would those churches or what would those campuses look like? And that was our first week's conversation. We said we want them to be places of justice, Mercy and humility, and we believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that's to be a hallmark of my life. That justice, mercy, and humility should be uh, kind of what I am known for as well. The me becomes the we, and we want Grace Church to be known for that. That we 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 defend those who are weak. We're merciful to all who uh, who come across our path, and we walk in humility with God. We're not self righteous. Where we, we realize that we too are the sinner and that God has saved and loved us. Uh, the next weekend we talked about the whole idea of missions. Like why, why does Grace Church work in the middle of Africa or Brazil or Mexico or Haiti or France or on and on and on? Why would we do those things? And we looked and said, well, that's straight out of the Bible. Uh, when god talks about the great commission and the great commandment and he talks about in acts chapter one going to the ends of the earth that's the idea of missions or missionaries that we would cross cultural lines in order to proclaim the gospel in a way that makes sense to that culture and that's something that the church is called to do and then the me is the we right so am i individually how do i individually kind of come to grasp with that in my own life. And then last weekend we talked about, we asked the question, why why would we start churches anyways? If we like what we're doing, why don't we just keep doing it more and more here? And we said, well, the biblical pattern is different that in the Bible, disciples make disciples, churches make churches, and churches send workers. That's how the book of Acts played out. And so that's why we do it. That's why we're obsessed with helping Jesus make sense and why we believe that starting local churches is the best way to do that, to evangelize, disciple, and to care for a community, because it's, it's the pattern of scripture. And it's how the book of Acts worked. It's how the New Testament worked. And it's the history of the church. It's how you and I came across the gospel. Uh, A disciple made a disciple, a church made a church, a church center worker, and somehow that wound up in North America and somebody for some reason stopped in Northeast Ohio. We have yet to determine why that happened and said, let's reach people right here. And when you and I went looking for the gospel and you and I were ready to respond to God, we found a church. We found people who had grown up in the church, who had been discipled, doing the very work that God has called us to do. So how do we know that, and how do we respond to it? The corporate directives that each follower of Jesus Christ needs to land that in a personal level. Now, as I was uh, thinking about kind of how to land this series uh, the the pastor came out in me. He's in there somewhere. Sometimes I get these feelings of compassion and patience and grace and love. I'm like, what is this? Oh, that's right, I'm a pastor. And so that came out at me. And I thought, man, a lot of these things, when, when we hear like these broad calls, they're hard to download in a lot of ways. And, and, and maybe you're like me, but when I hear things like, evangelize people, like, go tell my neighbor about Christ, and let's start a church, and we're going to do missions, and let's affect the country. Oftentimes, when I hear stuff like that, I'm like, I'm trying, like, not to sin, right? Like, I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying not to lose it at work. I'm trying to, like, pray with my kids every night, because Jeff told me I'm supposed to lead my family. Like, I'm just trying to like be a basic Christian, like don't smoke, drink, chew, date girls who do that kind of stuff. And now I'm supposed to go to the ends of the earth. I'm supposed to proclaim the goodness. And it feels overwhelming to us personally. And what happens in those moments is I I call it spiritual insecurities. Like our spiritual insecurities come to the, the surface and we'll hear these big things and we'll kind of look at it and say, well, God, God's not talking to me. Like, I, I'm just me. Like, I don't have a Bible degree. I don't have a PhD. I don't know anything about that. I kind of, like, show up, pitch in some money, help out, and, like, watch the kids so that Jeff can talk. Like, that's what I do. Like, I don't, I, that all is way, way too much for me. And I actually want you to know that I actually deeply sympathize with that. Uh, believe it or not, I have a lot of insecurities in my life. Most people would not look at me that way, but I have a lot of insecurities. I have a lot of spiritual insecurities, and they're rooted in just the way that I was raised and where my life is, right, which is most of us. So my, my dad got sick when I was a little kid, and so when your dad has to check out, uh, it, it's not good for you, right? It, it makes things difficult. I have abuse in my background. That makes things difficult. I, I didn't accept Christ until I was later in life. So I don't have like this deep, long spiritual heritage. I was a junior in college when I accepted Christ. On top of all that, I have one of those brothers. You have one of these brothers like got straight A's, loved Jesus, was talented. Everybody, yeah, I know, I hate my brother too. And so like, you know, like all of that. And I was just like the little brother kind of a thing. And I remember when I accepted Christ, when I was a junior in college, like I would hear this kind of stuff and I would be thinking, I'm trying. I'm just trying not to drink anymore. Like I'm just trying not to sin. I'm trying to like, somebody said get up and read your Bible. That's like incredibly hard, right? And I would hear these things. I'd go to church and stuff like that. I was trying to get in even to the habit of going to church was like a big life change for me. And I hear all these things and I would think to myself, Yeah, you must be talking to people like my brother. You want my brother. He's got it all together. You don't want me. I'm a nobody. I got nothing to say. I got no education. Nothing like that, right? Even as I started to follow Christ and I I started, I remember when uh, Pastor Bob Combs from Norton called me to ask me to come be the youth pastor down there. This was in 1993. He called me. I literally thought he called the wrong bogue. I'm like, oh, you want my brother. He's like, isn't this Jeff? I'm like, yeah, but you want Dave. You don't want Jeff. He's like, no, I want to talk to you. And I said, I have no, I have no, when I started in ministry, I had no formal ministry education at all, no training at all. I have a sociology degree, which qualifies you to go back to school and get a master's degree. That's all it does, right? It's worthless. And so I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And I, I was deeply insecure about it. Satan then, the Bible says Satan is the accuser. So Satan will take those insecurities and he'll like rub them in. Yeah, see, you can't do anything. God's not talking to you. You're the guy that's gonna get to heaven by the skin of his teeth. What are you talking about, right? Even after I got in the ministry, I remember very distinctly this event in my life. It was in 1995 in July of 1995. And uh, I was asked to speak at this conference. It was the first time anybody ever asked me to do anything like that. And it was this big conference, a couple thousand people at this conference. And I was very like flattered that they asked me to speak. And I actually was a little bit impressed with myself that I was asked to do this. And I remember as I got closer to it, my insecurities flared more and more and more and more and more. It started to scare me. And I remember the day that I was supposed to speak, I actually literally started to get sick to my stomach. I thought I was going to like throw up, but I kind of wanted to because it would have got me out of doing it, right? I'd be like, ah, I would, but I'm throwing up, you know? And I was praying about this and asking God and I didn't throw up, unfortunately. And the service starts and the band and the blah, blah. And now the introductions and my blood pressure's up and my stomach's tight and I want to just be sick so that I can run away and I remember praying and saying, Lord, I, I just wanna do what you want me to do, but if you could make me vomit, I would be very grateful. And he didn't, that's why I don't believe in prosperity gospel, and so, right, so all this kind of stuff. And I, I learned this little lesson, God taught me this little lesson. They introduced me, and I walked up, I was, I was literally trembling. I thought I got nothing to say, I don't even have a Bible degree yet, I don't know any of this kind of stuff. And I remember there was a big podium, and I remember putting my hands on the podium, and the minute I did that, I calmed down. It was nuts. I calmed down, and like my heart rate went down, and my mind cleared up, and my mouth opened, and I started to speak. And the whole time I'm thinking, this is stuff my brother does. This isn't stuff that I do, right? Nobody's going to listen. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to respond. And all of that turned out to be false. And all kinds of people listened, and all kinds of people responded. And I was shocked that this was happening as it went and I remember finishing the, the service and praying and saying amen. And I sat down, and the minute I sat down, my stomach knotted up, and I wanted to throw up. And I'm like, "Well, it's back. Glory to God, right?" And it was. It was. But God taught me this little lesson, and this is what I want to really try to help you guys with. God taught me in that moment. I've ne- never forget. I think about it all the time because I still get nervous about things all the time, right? God taught me this little lesson. I want to be stubborn about obeying God. I wanna be stubborn about trusting God. By the way, a lot of times what you might think of as self-confidence is not self-confidence, it's just me being stubborn. I'm just, I wanna be stubborn about that. I wanna look and say, well, if God has called us or God is leading us and we're certain about that and it's with the scripture and the elders agree and all the things that need to happen, I wanna learn, I wanna dig my heels in on that and say, this is what I'm going to do. And I've had to learn, I still have to do it. I've had to learn to discount and push away my insecurities because they're not from God, they're actually from the evil one. I'm convinced that a lot of times when we hear the big stuff, right? If, if I stood up and said, you need to quit smoking, drinking, and chewing, you would almost be like, okay, I think I can do it. You need to go, let's plant churches and send missionaries and affect the world. Pfft. Man, I hope the pastors do that. Somebody ought to be a missionary, right? We'll even read the Bible that way. We'll read the Bible and we'll see all these Bible heroes and we'll forget that the heroes started off as ordinary people full of insecurities who couldn't hardly believe that God was actually talking to them. And Satan would use it and God would push against it. And what you see in them, you don't see these superstar people. What you see is stubborn people who are stubborn about their faith and their trust and their obedience to God. And then you see God do incredible things in their lives. I want to show you one of these, guys. Grab your Bibles. and I want to talk to you about Moses, okay? Moses is one of the most famous Bible heroes that there is. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 34. Deuteronomy chapter 34, and in Deuteronomy chapter 34, what, what we find is Moses' um, Moses's obituary. Let me show you this. Moses is this great leader of God, and Moses has just died here in chapter 34. In verse 10, it's kind of his obituary that God wrote. It says this, since then no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all of his officials and to the whole land. For no one has ever known the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did, in the sight of all Israel. And that's the Moses that many of us might be familiar with. Uh, If you know this Moses, he's the one that they made all the movies about. They just made a Moses movie, Batman played Moses. Remember that movie? And, And it was all these incredible things. So he goes to Egypt, the superpower of the day, all these plagues, the locusts, the boils, the darkness, the blood, the frogs, all these super cool things that God did. Then Pharaoh says, get them out of here. And so Moses takes two to three million Jewish slaves out of Egypt. They all follow him. The red, the, the, the sea parts, right? They go into the wilderness and then it collapses on the Egyptian army. They get out into the wilderness and there's all these cool miracles that happen. Then God calls him to a coffee appointment, gives him the Ten Commandments. He comes down. it all comes from Moses. And that's, the, that's, the, that's Moses' obituary there. Like nobody, this is God, nobody's ever been like Moses. You and I, if we traced our faith way back to Jesus and then back through the prophets, our faith would run right through Moses all the way to Abraham. And so here we are 6,000-ish years later. We're still talking about Moses. We're still using Moses as an example. They're still making movies about Moses, and Moses is incredible. And when we look at Moses, we think, man, this guy must have had it all together. He's amazing. He's a Bible hero. And we forget that he was just a normal person, and all of the headlines of Moses' life are a result of his faith and his trust and his following of God. They're not a result of anything that he cranked up in and of himself. In fact, it's fascinating, if you go to the beginning of Moses' story, what you'll find is an insecure guy that has a lot of the same spiritual insecurities that you and I have. Flip over to the left in your Bible, the book of Exodus, chapter 3. In Exodus, chapter 3, Moses is out in the middle of the desert. He's a shepherd, and the only job he could get was working for his father-in-law. And what had happened was this. Uh, Moses was raised in the palace of Pharaoh. He was a Jew living as an Egyptian in Pharaoh's palace, he saw his Egyptian slave master, an Egyptian slave master beating a Jewish slave. And Moses became so enraged by that that he killed the slave master. Then he took off now because he's wanted for capital murder. So he runs out of Egypt, he goes into the wilderness he, he marries this girl and he gets a job with his father-in-law. Now he's a nomadic shepherd for 40 years. He's been in the middle of nowhere. He's a nomadic shepherd following sheep around working for his father-in-law. In the middle of doing all this, one of the most famous stories of all the Bible, God shows up in a burning bush. And he shows up and he talks to Moses. Now remember, he's a criminal. He's been on the run. He's a shepherd, he's a nomad, and he works for his father-in-law. It's kind of a pitiful existence if you think about it, right? God shows up to Moses and in verse nine says this, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way, of the, Egyptians, the, the, way the Egyptians are oppressing them, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, here's Moses, a very ordinary guy with a criminal record, and God says, I want you to go back where you're wanted for murder, and I want you to stare down the most powerful man on the planet, who thinks he's God, by the way, and tell him he's not God, but the real God says to let his slave labor force of two to three million people go, and you, shepherd, working for your father-in-law, living in the wilderness for 40 years, you go do it. Now, Moses would react to that just like you and I did. Who are you talking to, right? You're talking to me. You you must want my brother Dave to do that, right? You must want some other Bible hero that maybe Moses would have known about. You want... And what you see is this interaction between Moses and God and you see Moses' spiritual insecurities come to the surface, you see the Lord address them and you'll see a guy that's very much like you and me. Here's the first thing that Moses kind of brought up as an insecurity before the Lord. Look at verse 11, God says, you go do it. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? the first insecurity that Moses struggles with, that I struggle with sometimes, I bet you do too, Moses basically looked at God and said, God, I'm a nobody. What are you talking about? I'm a nobody. You want me to go? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a felon. I'm a shepherd. I'm a nomad. I don't even interact with people well. And you want me to go to the halls of power and look at a guy who thinks he's God and tell him to let my people go. And it's fascinating what God says to him. God replies to this in verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. Moses, I'm not just sending you out on your own. I'm not telling you that you better, you better get a lot of training so you can go do stuff in your own power. I'm going to go with you. We are going to go together but you are going to be the mouthpiece for it, and you're going to go, but God, I'm a nobody. What are you talking about? I'm a nobody. I know nothing. I was reading an author this week. He, he, made, he said this great quote. He said, one of the greatest truths that's hard for us to accept is this, is that God is who He says He is and can do what He says He can do. He said, we have a terrible time. That's, that's the essence of faith that God is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can do. He said, here's an even greater truth that we have trouble accepting. I am who God says I am, and I can do what God says I can do. Now, that has nothing to do with a prosperity gospel. That's not about being your best self or your best life now or any of that nonsense. That's a spiritual truth that when God looks at you and says, you know what you are? You are more than a conqueror. You are a new creation. You, you, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ as if Christ himself were making his appeal through you. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. That's who you are. You're the church of Jesus Christ. I am who God says I am, and I can do what God says I can do. But my insecurity will say, no, I'm not. What I, I'm an addict. That's what I am. I'm an abuse victim. That's what I am. I'm a divorcee. That's what I am. I'm, I'm a guy that was saved from sin. Like, I'm trying, like, to just be, like, a basic Christian. That's what I am. I'm an, I'm an uneducated person. That's what I am. I'm just a, I'm a laborer. Like, I just work. That's what I am. It's a very difficult thing for us to look and say, no, I'm actually defined by the living God I am who he says I am, and I can do what he says I can do. So when God gives a directive to the church, he's talking to me. And I want to deflect that. I'm a nobody, and God said, well, that's what you say. That's not what I say. You're a royal priest. You're a part of a chosen nation. You're a people belonging to God, First Peter says. That's who you are, and you can do what I've called you to do. The devil is the accuser. And he will always look at you and say, the reason that that directive doesn't apply to you is because you're really this. Christ is truth. I am who he says I am, and I can do what he says I can do. Here's the second insecurity that came up with Moses. Moses and God talk a little bit more, and then Moses says this to God in verse 13, same chapter, 3, Exodus. He says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? And God again answers in this fascinating way, verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent you. The second insecurity that Moses brought up to God is, what if nobody listens to me? What if nobody listens to me? I'm supposed to go tell them that I'm sent here by God. And when they say prove it, what am I supposed to say to them? What if nobody listens to me? This is an insecurity that comes up in our lives a lot. And it's actually one of the ones that I I really believe is compounded by our culture. And it plays out this way. So you're telling me, you're telling me I'm supposed to go And tell my neighbor they're going to go to hell unless they accept Jesus as their Savior. What I'm going to look like an idiot? What if they don't listen to me? What what happens when they look at me and say it's none of your business? You're you're telling me I'm supposed to go. We're supposed to go in all the world and tell these other historical faiths that they should quit believing in what they believe and start believing what we believe. That's what you're saying. I'm supposed to go offend these people. Isn't that arrogant? Isn't that bigoted? Isn't that intolerant? You're telling me I'm supposed to look at my roommate and say you're living in sin, you should quit living in sin. This is what the Bible says. What if nobody listens to me? I'm going to be and feel and look dumb. I love what the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the, the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Guys, listen to me. It's an insecurity, and then it becomes a lie from the devil that the old-fashioned, simple, clear gospel of Jesus lacks power. And that somehow in the modern world, that gospel has to be changed, it has to be modified to accommodate people, it has to be rationalized away, it has to be justified through science, that the simple truths of the scripture are no longer effective in our world today. In fact, they're a little bit on the embarrassing side. God looked at Moses and he said, listen, when people ask you that question, just tell them God said. Tell them God said. And God would look at you and I and say the same thing. You you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't proclaim your politics. Who cares about that? Proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You give the whole counsel of God. You, You show people the word of God. Don't give them your opinions about their life. Show them in the Bible what it says. Show them and tell them that God said that that simple, clear truth is still viable, it's still powerful, and it's still around today. Guys, listen, there is nothing new, nothing new about a culture that looks at the people of God and says, you guys are dumb and old fashioned. There's nothing new about a scientist who looks and says, well, the Bible can't do this, or now that we know this. There has always, all throughout time, there has always been segments of people who think they have discovered everything that there is to discover. It's human arrogance. Even with Moses, they thought that. They thought they could explain away the miracles until God elevated it so much that there was no explanation. It's not new. In the Middle Ages, in the Renaissance, people thought they had discovered all that there was to discover. There's nothing new about that. There's nothing new about whatever version of pop culture happens to be in play throughout history, where people will mock the truth of the scripture or say that it's irrelevant, or say that if you don't change it or if you don't bend it or you don't modernize it, it, people aren't gonna accept it anymore. There is nothing new about a governmental system that looks at the church and says, you're not allowed to do what God tells you to do anymore. None of that is new. It's as old as the Old Testament, six, 7,000 years old. It's as old as Christ, 2,000 years old. That is the way that it works. There is always some version of Kanye West in history, right? There's always some version of Stephen Hawkins. There's always some version of Vladimir Putin, always. And all of those people throughout time have looked at the people of God and said, you're irrelevant and you're old fashioned and you have no right and who tell, who, how dare you say to me. And all throughout time, the people of God looked back and said, I'm not saying it, God's saying it. And every one of those people and every one of those systems and every one of those nations have fallen and crumbled and blown away in the dust of history and the church of Jesus Christ is alive and well and growing. You don't need to apologize for anything. nothing to be insecure about. We're we're always proven right when we ground ourselves on on the I am, that God is who he is, and we can rest in that, and we can proclaim that, right? And that insecurity, God, nobody's going to listen to me. God looked at Moses and said, right, they're going to listen to me. One way or another, they're going to listen to me, You just go and say what I've told you to say. Here's the third insecurity. The third insecurity, it comes up in chapter four, verse one. So Moses and God talk for a while. And Matthew, or I'm sorry, in Exodus chapter four, verse one, Moses raises his third question. He says, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. What do I do then? And God answered him in verse two, the Lord just said to him, Moses, what is in your hand? Now this is a very fascinating interaction. Moses looks at God and he says, what, what, what happens if, if they don't listen to me? And basically the insecurity is this, Moses looks at God and says, I don't know what I'm doing. When I go and I tell this Pharaoh they're supposed to let the people go, and then the Israelites look at me and say, you're supposed to be our leader, shepherd boy? Murderer, you disappeared for 40 years. You're supposed to be our leader. And Moses' insecurity basically pops up and says, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a degree. I didn't go through a leadership institute. I don't have a PhD. What, what am I supposed, to, I'm not ready to do this. I don't know how to do it. What am I suppo- how am I supposed to answer that question? And then God gives him a fascinating answer. He says, Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses answers, God, and he says, a staff. Well, as you read the rest of the narrative and then you read all of Moses' story, it's really, really fascinating. That staff comes back into play again and again and again and again. When he gets to Egypt, he uses that staff and he would drop it, and God would perform a miracle. It would turn into a snake, and then he would grab the snake and it would turn back into wood. Later on, he touches the sea with that staff and the sea parts. Later on, the, the people, they're out in the wilderness and they need water, so he strikes a rock with the staff and fresh water flew out of it. That staff was a very integral part of Moses' life and it was the tool of a shepherd. This is the application I want you to get out of this. God looked, Moses looked at God and said, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have any credibility. And God looked at Moses and said, see what's in your hand? Yeah, a shepherd's staff, right. I've been prepping you for 40 years to do exactly what I've called you to do. You thought you were hiding in the wilderness trying to beat a murder rap. I was preparing you to lead millions of people into the wilderness and survive. You thought you could only get a job with your father-in-law. I was teaching you to shepherd people, to corral them, to lead them to know where they're at. You thought you were a wandering nomad. I was teaching you that you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. I was giving you all the skills and all the preparation to do the leadership you were called to do. Moses, what's in your hand? What's in your hand is the tools that I prepared in you in advance to do the good work that I'm calling you to do. Guys, when we look at God and say, that great commission, man, that that great commandment thing, that going to all the world, that big church stuff, like that's not me. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a doctorate. I, don't ha- I didn't go to seminary. I haven't studied the Bible forever. And God will look at you oftentimes when we hesitate to do what God has called us to do, and he'll look at you and say, what's in your hand? You, th- you thought you were just living life. I have been preparing you for the good works that I'm calling you to do. We call this at Grace, we call it our shape. God would look and say, I've given you spiritual gifts. Everybody who's a follower of Jesus Christ has gotten a supernatural spiritual gift from me. That's in your hand right now. I've given you a heart, a, a set of passions. There's certain things you're passionate about. Why are you passionate about certain things? How come you're so passionate about sports? And if it's a baseball or a basketball or a football, you just love it. And how come other people tremble and fear every time one of those circular things is thrown at them? Why is it like that? I've given you abilities. How come, how come you can work with your hands or play an instrument or work with a computer or create with your mind? Who gave that to you? I gave you a personality, right? How come you're an introvert? or you're an extrovert. I've given you life experiences. You thought you were going through a terrible time in life. I was refining you to do what I've called you to do. You thought you were lucky and you just had all these amazing opportunities. I was using the good opportunities in your life to prepare you as well. What's in your hand? I have called you and I have prepared you And you can look and say, God, there's no way that I could ever do that. And God will look back at you and say, oh, you've been training for this your whole life. Moses, what's in your hand? I'm with you, right? Just proclaim my truth. I'm not asking you to to be wise and a genius. And you have the skills to play the role in the work that I've called you to be a part of. The last insecurity that Moses kind of surfaced was this one. In chapter four, look down to uh, verse 10. Verse, yeah, 10. Moses and God talk a little bit more, and then Moses brings up this last insecurity, and Moses said to the Lord, pardon me. Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor, ha- nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Moses looked at God in us and said, God, you don't understand I have weaknesses. I, 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 I'm, I'm not a good speaker. Most of us believe that Moses either stuttered or had some kind of a speech impediment. And God was telling him to go stand before the most powerful man in the world and proclaim a bunch of stuff. And so God looked at, or Moses looked at God and said, God, you don't understand, I got weaknesses. I got limitations. I can't possibly do what you've called me to do. Now, I love God's answer. Look at this, it's absolutely fascinating. Verse 11, the Lord said to him, Moses, who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go and I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. We have our insecurities and it pops up. God, I got weaknesses, you don't understand. I got, I got physical limitations. God, I'm old, I'm too old. God, I'm too young. God, I have some kind of other physical limitation. I cannot do what you've called me to do. God, I have emotional limitation. You don't understand, I got baggage. I got baggage. I have abuse. I have father issues. I got mother issues, right? I got baggage in my life. I can't do what you've called. God, you don't understand. I got spiritual baggage. I got a sin record that's off the charts. I'm really, really new at this following you thing, and I'm not very good at it anyways. I got weaknesses. And God would look and say, right, I know who you are. I created you. The Apostle Paul says, and later on in the Scripture, he says, in my weaknesses you are made strong. In other words, my weaknesses glorify God. What you think of as your weaknesses and your limitations, God often thinks of as your credibility. Because when you, with your physical limitations or emotional limitations, or whatever you think your limitations are, when you serve God and you trust God and you proclaim God and you believe in God, it's not your limitation, it's your credibility. Because you're a person that trusts and believes and follows and loves God, and you're also a person, God didn't make all your problems go away, did he? God didn't do a miracle in your life. God didn't change your past, and you've still chosen to believe, and you've still chosen to follow, and you, who nothing has gone right for having faith, is oftentimes a more credible faith than somebody who everything has played out exactly the way that everybody else wishes it would play out in their life. Your limitations aren't your limitations, they're your credibility. And in your weaknesses, God is made strong and he is glorified. And by the way, everybody's got weaknesses so it makes you relatable. And what is an insecurity, the devil will say is a limitation and God says, no, I created you. The God who created you is the creator who calls you. Did you catch that? The God who created you is the creator who calls you. And God looked at Moses and said, do you think I'm shocked that you don't speak well? Who made your mouth? I knew we were getting into this. I'll help you. I'll train you. And I'll teach you. Now, it's fascinating. As God and Moses have this interaction, right, it's fascinating how patient the Lord is through it. In the book of James, chapter 1, in the second part of the Bible, the New Testament, God actually says that. He says, as you're, as you're struggling to understand God's call in your life, and you're struggling to follow God, and you're saying, God, I want to, I just can't do the math. Like, you want me to do what? Like, I'm not a good speaker. I just don't, I'm not educated. And as you're struggling to do all that, this is what God says. God says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously, ready, without finding fault. When I struggle to understand how to download God's corporate directives into my life personally, how to let God change me so the me becomes the we, and I just, I just don't see it or understand it, the, God does not get mad at you about that. When, when, when you look and say, God's calling me to do what? I can't, why would he call me? I have no, God does not get mad at you. He does not get mad at you for working through your faith to make it your own. For looking at God and saying, man, I I need to talk to some spiritual leaders, I need to pray, I need to read the Bible, I just gotta figure, I'm willing, I just don't know how to do it. God says, no, 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 when you're in that situation, when your insecurities are lying to you, when you just don't know what to do, ask God for help and he will give it to you and he will not find fault in you. It never makes God upset. And as you watch Moses interact with God and his insecurities are just coming to the surface, God looks at him and it's patience, it's a gentle answer, it's a reminder, it's a promise to be with him. Now what's fascinating is this, as Moses worked through all of that and God answered all of that, God kind of brought a satisfactory answer to everything that Moses was worried about. When you get to the very end of this interaction, something fascinating happens. Look at it, verse 13, chapter four, Exodus. Finally, Moses said, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Moses gets to it, because God kept answering all of his questions. I never heard of the Great Commission before. Well, now let me answer that and show it to you. huh? I never knew why we sent missionaries. Let me show it to you. I never, I just, I didn't, I thought church planning was just a way that a big church gets bigger. I didn't realize it was like us trying, trying to follow the Bible. Oh yeah, let me show you that. No problem. Ask generously without finding fault. And as God answers your questions, as he answers your insecurity, as you learn the scripture, as you're discipled, as you grow, it is fine that it takes a little bit of time and a little bit of work and a little bit of patience for all of that to take seed in your life. But what's gonna happen, guys, is this. Pretty soon, you're gonna know what you need to know. And pretty soon, you're gonna understand the scriptures as much as you're gonna understand the scriptures, as much as you need to. And pretty soon you're just left with the question of why don't I ever tell my faith to my neighbor, my coworker, my roommate? What am I supposed to do about the Great Commission? What is my individual role in it? What about starting churches? What about making disciples? What about being a person of of justice, mercy, and humility? Pretty soon those corporate things clarify themselves and wind up personal questions. And there's a point where you know enough and in your heart, you're looking at God and saying, I just don't wanna do it. Can you just make it somebody else's problem? And when Moses looked at God and said, can you just send somebody else? For the first time in the whole narrative, verse 14, the Bible says this, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. I've had enough. God said I've loved you I've helped you I've been patient with you and your insecurities have graduated into your independence from me and your independence is always governed by pride and pride is the root of sin and now Moses you're not being stubborn about your faith and you're not being stubborn about your obedience and you're not being stubborn about your your calling you're being stubborn about your defiance And the scripture says, God gives grace to the humble. Oh, I'll help you. I'll teach you. Guys, I encourage you. I know it's scary. I know it's overwhelming. I'm with you 100%. God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. And the word the Bible uses for oppose is actually an active word. In other words, God works against people's pride to break it down. And God looked at Moses in essence and said, listen, but you've crossed a different line here. You're no longer trying to figure out how to love, follow, and obey me. You're no longer trying to digest your calling. Now you're just not gonna do it. See? Guys, what I want for you, I want you to be stubborn about obeying God. I want you to be stubborn about your faith. I want you to be stubborn about trust. Why are we doing that? God called us to do it. Explain the details. I can't. Guarantee the outcome. I don't know. Give me the exact budget. I think it might cost this. What's the timeline we're shooting for? If you can budget it and schedule it and put it on a spreadsheet, you don't need any faith to execute it. We're gonna move in that direction. How are people gonna react? I have no idea. But the stubbornness of saying, I'm going to do it. I don't know the outcome. I I don't even know all the plan, but we're going to do it. Why? Because God said to do it. And sometimes that's all we know. And sometimes that's all I know. And it's fascinating when you follow God like that, when you walk into the moment that God has called you to be in, it's fascinating how he will calm you down and give you the words and give you the strength and give you the insight and give you the grace for the moment. And you'll walk away from that moment and you'll think, what in the world just happened? Right? And there's nothing new about that. There's nothing new about God calling ordinary people living normal lives to do extraordinary things. It's really his pattern. It's more like God than a plan ever would be. Why does a teenager who was told by his dad to take lunch to his brothers wind up on a battlefield with a giant with with the freedom of a nation at stake only to kill the giant with a slingshot? Why was that the plan? I don't know, God does that kind of stuff all the time. It was just the plan, and God knows it. And David had no idea what was gonna happen that day. He was just obedient, see? How do three guys wind up in a furnace in front of the most powerful man in the world? they wound up there because they just would not worship a false god. Just literally, just like doing the Bible. And then God shows up in the furnace, sets them free. They don't even smell like smoke, and there's a national revival. Who came up with that plan? That's all through the Scriptures. And it's not at all unusual that that's how God would work with you it's not at all unusual that you would feel insecure about that. God, I'm a nobody. Who's gonna listen to me? I don't even know what I'm doing. There's not, it's not at all weird that God would ask you to be involved, right? And if you stop and look at God and say, I'm not doing it. Send somebody else. That's not gonna sit with the Lord in your life any more than it sat with the Lord with Moses. See, Trust, faith. We are a people of faith. We're not a people of plan. We're a people of faith. We follow God. We don't determine what we're doing and then ask God to bless it. We look where God's going and we follow Him. It's, it's what the people of God are. And it's God's calling on your life. I have insecurities. I, I am pretty confident that somehow you're going to find out what I'm really like and all this is going to be over. I'm shocked every weekend when you show up. I'm like, huh, they showed up again. (laughs) Boy, if you only knew, right? I usually feel young and I usually feel dumb. None of that's ever gonna go away. I wanna be stubborn about trust and obedience. I want you to be stubborn about trust and obedience. And as God does that in you, he will do that in us. The me will become the we. And the great commands of Scripture that are directed to the people of God will be the commands that you own personally and we own together, and God will glorify himself through it. All right, this is what I, I want to I invite you to do here. I think this is a conversation that we should just stew on a little bit. So I wanna invite you to spend some time in prayer and with God. Maybe ask God to, to point out your insecurities. If you know those inside and out, ask God to help you overcome them. Maybe ask God to show you where you've dug your heels on in on, on obedience, or I'm just not doing it, send somebody else. I would surrender that to God. You do not wanna square off with God, it won't go well. So you surrender that, ask God, show me, God, these corporate commands, show me my part in it. We're not all gonna do the same thing, that, that's fine, that's why we're the body of Jesus Christ, that's why he brought us together. So you don't need to do what I do necessarily. I don't need to do what you do, that's, that's not the way it works. But you have a role, you have a part, the Bible's crystal clear about that, so ask God to show you your role in it, right? And ask God to change me, and then the me will become the we. So let's bow our heads. I'll pray for us. The band will come out, create a little space for us, and we'll thank and pray. Jesus, we love you. Help us with this. Through your Holy Spirit, show us, God, all of our we, we're all flawed. We're all messed up. We're all insecure. God, we're just human beings. But we are who you say we are, and we can do what you say we can do, and we want to be a people of faith. So, God, we choose to believe what we do not understand and will never fully comprehend. We choose to trust and follow you. Press that into each one of us individually. Help us with that even now, Jesus, in your name. Amen.